Ladies and gentlemen, if you're aware of the concept of Pandora's box, is the Queen's death the biggest Pandora's box opening ever? Because, at least of modern memory, because it's looking like that. In the words, Pop Game is Chuck D. Bring the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. So I was, I was, I was saying that, and in in my head, it just came. <laughs> I was just like, but as soon as I was saying "good week in the circumstances," I was just overcome with like a. Uh, I don't know. Some just a, a just like a, a wet blanket was just just washed over me. Just just went on my head. Just that's what it felt like. Just saying wet just went around my head. As soon as I said it, I was just like, "Fuck!" This week's been a freaking whirlwind in like the worst way possible. It's it's silly, but of course we will get to that. If you've seen the full show notes, if you've seen the title of this episode, you know what I'm going to talk about. But we'll get to it at the end. I'm just, I'm just, honestly, I'm just surprised that I've gotten two monologues in in the past two weeks. I mean, yeah, shit. Maybe I should stop dropping on Thursdays because apparently shit happens on Thursdays um, all of a sudden. So, um, yeah, Thursday's the hot day apparently for, for news all of a sudden. But yes, um, I was kind of conflicted on what I would do this episode on. Um, I don't know if I would spend the hour on breaking down everything that's gone on in the past week for obvious reasons. But I felt like that does a disservice um, to, you know, you, the listener, in some way. Because I rarely do it. I've done it once, I think. Once, and that was during the George Floyd protests. And I only did that because it was, you know, I've said it before, this this show is a, a form of therapy to me. And I needed that. I needed that hour of talking about, you know, zooming out racism as a whole, just and figuring out solutions. Um, but this doesn't this ain't this ain't that. This ain't that. Um it's I don't think it's that deep. Um but yeah, I don't want to say much more. We'll get into it. We shall get into it. Um and I'm gonna try and again as a monologue be as consider uh, co- coherent as I can. And this is probably even harder than the Jay Z one, partly because you know, obviously that one had. Um, if you haven't listened, by the way, last week go spin. Um, I'm I'm actually kind of proud of it. Actually, like I've, I've, I'm usually not really all that hyped over when I do a monologue for science, which I rarely do. But yeah, I feel I feel like most of the time I'm very incoherent. Um, but I felt very coherent there, so I, I'm I'm proud of that one. If you want to go spin next uh, last week, please go spin. Um, but yeah, I just there's there's a lot of factors and a lot of noise. That this week has been especially, and I just I need to I'm gonna need to cut through that. Um, so that's my agenda. I hope to cut through the noise and get to the heart of the issue. What I feel personally is the heart of the issue, and it might not be the heart of the issue for you, um, but I feel like it does. Uh, I feel like it is. 
uh, to me at least, and hopefully to some of you as well. And hopefully, um, you know, feel free to send this to someone who needs that, um, who needs a different perspective, because I feel like I'm in the minority here, believe it or not. Um, I feel like that anyway, but maybe I'm not, who knows. Anyway, we also have uh, politics, society and tech um, along with this episode, uh, along with the life. And uh, let's jump right in. Formatties before we begin. Email, Twitter, Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go give the articles, the three articles I have for this episode, a spin. Please go give them a read uh, and support the writers that make the show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where Queen Elizabeth II dies at 96. Wow, I was surprised that was going to be the first one. But apparently there was more news, believe it or not. Uh, 7.7 magnitude earthquake hits Papua New Guinea. The police watchdog has launched a murder investigation into the death of Chris Cabber. Ukraine retook over 1,000 square meters of territory in the northeastern uh, Kharkiv region over the weekend. And lastly, pillar of French New Wave cinema, Jean-Luc Godard dies age 91 apparently assisted dying in switzerland as well um i think the quote that his family gave or his estate or whatever called it uh that he was just tired and um i find it weird that we have we can't we just we, there's so much shit going on we can't even have the conversation of assisted dying which i feel like is something that should be kind of you know a widespread um should be embraced by you know entire <laughs> the world society to be honest um, why prolong somebody's life if they don't if they themselves don't want to live um, but anyway maybe for another episode who knows if I find a good article on it all right let's get into some politics because I did say last week I you know there's plenty of time to get into politics there's plenty of time to get into the live trust government um, and uh, who knew a week later I'd be doing it um, but I did find this good article um, via Nels Abbey uh, it's an opinion piece via iNews. It is called Liz Truss's diverse, quote-unquote diverse, ca- uh, cabinet will wage a culture war unlike any other. And I kind of just want to have, a, if I have the time, a mini conversation just about um, the term diversity. And um, obviously this is, di- you know, if you've seen the cabinet, it's diverse in, you know, visually, right? Um, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean much. When it comes to diversity of thought. But we'll get into that when we get into that. So let's jump right into the article before end. The greatest political trick Boris Johnson ever pulled uh, or ever, ever pulled off was leveraging the progressive ideal diversity to further a highly regressive hard right agenda. Here is how the political calculation largely works. If you want to wage a hard right agenda in modern Britain, cloak it in the soft silk of progressivism. The liberals and the two white to polite liberal media will be bamboozled the protests of minorities will be ignored the policies will prove popular with the public thanks in large part to the dominance of right-wing media and therefore the opposition won't robustly oppose it you'll get a bounce in the polls and minorities or whoever else is on the receiving end of the policy will have their lives and livelihoods further ruined rinse and repeat this whitewashing of anti-wokeness, diversifying the anti-diversity of and, and browning and blackening of racism has helped render ideas that were once politically and morally inconceivable in Britain common currency by the end of Johnson's reign. 
the eye-wateringly inhumane Rwanda policy is perhaps the signature example of this, but far from the only one. What was once a far-right dream became British government policy, thanks in large part to the identity of then Home Secretary Preeti Patel. It is implausibly unlikely that a white Home Secretary would have been able to transform a sovereign African nation into an open-air prison for people seeking asylum in Britain. With all this in mind, it should come as no surprise that Liz Truss has, like Johnson before her, appointed a once inconceivably diverse cabinet. For the first time in history of British democracy, no white male will be in the most senior cabinet roles. The simple, bamboozled, or bigoted among us will suggest this is because is suggest this is cause to celebrate. The astute will see potential for serious concern. If the Johnsonian calculation is correct, that you can more effectively pursue a hard right agenda with the deceptive veil of respectability that comes with diverse politicians. The white middle man is access to, uh, to requirement and now has rightly been handed his P45. Don't weep for them. The white man had a good run. It would be unfair to tar all ethnic minority Tories with the same brush. Case in point, Kwasi Kwarteng, the new Chancellor of the Exchequer, is a brilliant man who has often had to serve under people who would not come off favourably in any comparison to him. Kwarteng is an old-school fiscal conservative who would have been credible in just about any era of British politics, not just not just these devalued times. When he was pulled into the culture wars or made to leverage his identity to protect the credibility and save the blushes of the government, such as in response to Rindroff's scandal, he never looked comfortable. The swell on his upper lip seemingly betrayed his true feelings, as did his book Ghost of Empire. On the other hand, you have the battle-ready culture warriors, notably Suella Braverman, or Braverman, I forgot how to say it, and the right-wing's uh, field marshal of the culture wars would-be prime minister had she made it to the final two, Kemi Badenoch. Suella Braverman has used the lives of trans people as a literal political weapon, whipping her leadership rival Penny Mordaunt with My view of Penny is that she is woke in her role as woke finder general. When the inter- internationally derided Tony Saul-led race report was released, um, talked about that um, when it dropped. Um, I've <laughs> no idea what episode it is. It is it's the problem with when I've done like over two hundred episodes? I can't like, I can't think of when it was. But I think I, if you type up race report in any search um, pertaining to the show, then I think you'll find it. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, practically all sensible Tory MPs ran for the hills and did not touch it. Boris Johnson's race advisor, Samuel Kasamu, uh, uh, resigned in bewilderment. Kemi Badenoch gleefully backed it. From excusing the horrors of colonialism to suggesting prominent black writers are segregationists to attacking black journalists, etc., Badenoch has done it all and reaped the fruits. There is a good reason why Badenoch and Braverman waged these battles. Post-exit the area, uh, the post-break... Oh, nearly said it. Post-the-exit... The area that has mostly played an unduly prominent role in British politics has been what the German statesman Otto von Bismarck called Kulturkampf, I must say, I say, say it, Kulturkampf, Kulturkampf, uh, culture struggle, basically. And we today call culture wars. Uh, Anti-wokeness, anti-political correctness, anti-compassion, and anti-respect for your fellow human is just frustration without representation, heat without light. It doesn't put a single carrot or pea on a plate. But it does put vote, uh, votes in a ballot box and helps decide who the next Prime Minister is. So what does the Conservative Party's newfound zeal for diversity mean for ethnic minorities? On a physically conservative good day, 
It means little for the overwhelming majority of ethnic minorities, but if estimations are right and interest rates do balloon to 7% in a bid to curb inflation, I think it was a, I think it, I think I saw today it was like 9.9. So, yeah, that's fun. Uh, estimated to be on rise as to as high as 22% by January. Coupled with Truss's rich-friendly proposed tax cuts, it will spell catastrophe for most ethnic minorities. Unemployment already runs at a stubbornly high rate in ethnic communities. Black unemployment often trebles white unemployment in the UK. By comparison, the black to white unemployment ratio in the United States usually peaks at double. The now seemingly in- inevitable uh, recession will be felt most in economically perilous minority communities. On a bad day, uh, on the cultural front lines, it means uh, further devastation, degradation and depression. It means the lives of ethnic and other minorities will be uh, made much harder, their hurdles much higher, and their livelihoods at greater risk. Floated ideas such as union crushing, i.e. weakening the bargaining hand of workers, withdrawing Britain from the European Court of Human Rights and red tape cutting, excuse me, would all negatively impact minorities and many others. When excuse me, when all of this is factored in, the symbolism, uh, the <laughs> the quote, he or she is in high office and they look just like you, you can do it too, unquote, quickly diminishes in potency. When someone is actively striking a sticking a knife in your back, the colour, gender or sexual orientation of the person doing so means nothing. Neither does the colour, uh, gender or sexual orientation of the doctor removing it. We elect our politicians to be the doctors who gently remove the knife and help us heal. For ethnic minorities, our entire, uh, entirely just fear is that these diverse yet anti-woke politicians will metaphorically excitedly twist a knife as opposed to remove it. Defend the stabber or stab us in the back themselves. Andrew Neither uh, or Nether, like feather, uh, spelled like feather, uh, Norma, former speechwriter for Tony Blair and other New Labour luminaries, once claimed that New Labour increased immigration in part to, quote, rub the riot's nose in diversity and render their arguments out of date, unquote. Thanks to the genius of Johnson, the right flipped the script. Today, if you're young and ruthless, sec- uh, young and ruthless sec- uh, ethnic minority, bright spark, in fact, I would personally not place too much emphasis on being bright, then the Conservative Party is rich pickings for you. Uh, there can be no doubt about it on the service level, but not any deeper. Today, the Conservative Party is the party of diversity, dot, 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 in pursuit of anti-diversity and worse. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a... It's a jarring thing now to, and and it really <laughs> muddy the waters. Uh, no pun intended, right? Of um, uh, of of everything. Um, you know, there's so many. There's the amount of times we're gonna see now, as these people, as these people uh, take up the top three. Um, what's the word? Top three. Uh, uh, chief chief seats. I, I don't know what they're called. I don't know what they're called. Chancellor, Home Exec, and Home Secretary, and the other one, uh, Foreign Secretary, I think it is. Anyway, um, you know the fact that in these very important places, um, there's just going to be so many people just gaslighting other, um, people that are non-white, um, uh, complaining about this, um, going on you know news programs, on podcasts or radio, whatever. And if you and if they know you are not white, they're gonna be like, "Oh, but what about Quasi Quarting? What about Kemi Badenoch? What about Suella Braveman?" In this very similar way, they were doing with Pretty Patel, like like um you know like Abby said, Pretty Patel because she was who she is, um 
a descendant of British Kenya. Um, I do have a long read in my uh, in my ever 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 growing list of long reads I want to read out on the pod. Um, there is one I want to. There's one I have about that um, by Hardeep Matharu, and um, it's just fascinating. You know, we, you've seen it if you if you you know kept anywhere near uh, the news to what uh, pertaining to Pretty Patel. You can't play that card. Because you, you can't play that card of uh, racism or whatever, even though Pretty Patel is operating as a member of a racist party in my mind. Uh, you, you can't, you can't, you know, you can't make the nuanced argument of Pretty Patel being, you know, uh, bigoted, right? Because it's just too easy for the other side to just go, but she's Pretty Patel, she's not white. Yeah, it's just, it's such the gaslighting is just going to be such a like turn up to 11 with these people and um you know Suella Braverman Loki is literally worse than Pri Patel um from how she's uh, talked in recent years um i think she was attorney general uh, rec- most recently so you know there's um uh, it's just it, there's going to be a lot there's going to be a lot of that and um it's not going to be fun um to and I mean, at that point, you just have to evolve, right? The, the discourse has to evolve. You can't... And this is why, you know, when uh, some people... Uh, uh, when it comes to, you know, someone like Kamala Harris becoming, you know, the first, uh, you know, African-American... Uh, and also, I think she, I think somewhere... I think something else... Uh, I forget the other side of heritage. But yeah, first that as well. First female, the, the, you know, all of that, right? It, I mean, it's the same with feminism, right? You can make the you, you, you can make this argument, and we have made this argument since Thatcher, right? That it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter that Thatcher was a woman; she's still a fucking demon. Same with Theresa May. Same with First Trust, right? Demons, right? In my mind, demons. It doesn't matter that they're women; they will happily take away women's rights. You know what I mean? That's that's the thing, and it's going to be the and, and we're going to have to evolve this conversation about diversity. And stick it more, and 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 uh, and focus more on the concept of diversity of thought, because they don't have diversity of thought. They're acting in a purely conservative way, albeit a more right-wing version of what uh, what usual conservative demon is. Right? You can't you can't go down the road of just like uh, oh you know she's a sister. Like can't do that no more. Can't do that, and it's a shame. It's a shame, but it is what it is. Um, the conversation has to evolve, and um, you know, I hope to do so as well, um, and stick it to that, and stick to that. Um, but it's going to be hard for people that <laughs> are just going to uh, that that maybe even attend that argument. It's not going to work because it's too broad. It's not nuanced enough um, to just say, you know, uh, to just go down the diversity route because they're just going to point to Kwasi Kwarteng. They're going to point to Swilla Braverman, Pretty Patel formerly, and Kemi Badenoch and just go, well, look, there's black people in, to- in the Tory party. Oh, we're so diverse. I mean, I f- oh, as a finishing point, I saw a Theresa May guessing up, um, you know, the entire Tory thing going like, uh, you know, we've had three women as prime ministers. How many have Labour had? You know, I mean, it's just, oh, okay, all right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. You, you have you have female demons. You have black demons. Who Who knew? Yeah, I mean, it's just, but you can't make, I, I can't make that argument to them. Um, I can say that on my podcast, but I can't make that argument to somebody else. Um, 
but yeah, it is what it is, man. Just have to evolve on that, on that, uh, on the thought process, and um, you know, focus solely on just how demonic they are. Simple as like you can't look at their skin color no more. And uh, I guess that's progress in some way. I don't know. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, just uh, just gotta got evolve. Just have to evolve in the discourse now. Speaking of uh, demonic things that are happening, um, the energy crisis, yay! So um, I wanted to find. I, I knew I wanted to speak about the energy crisis because I feel like we're, this is a good chance to talk about it now. Um, just considering this before October, where you know all the prices are going to kick in, uh, all the increases are going to kick in, um, and also the Liz Trust government finally making some form of step, excuse me, towards um, easing everything. But it's not enough. It's it's not enough. It's it's me. What they've done is merely a stopgap, um, and hopefully this article it helps explain that. I mean, it's literally called "Energy Crisis." UK is still heading for widespread fuel poverty despite uh, the government's price cap. This is by uh, Ms. Amy Ambrose, a professor of energy policy and trustee of the Fuel Poverty Research Network at Sheffield Hallam University, um, and this is via the conversation. So yeah, I love this. I love this site so much. Just having you know, just having that, listen to that, that's a business card and a half. I am Professor of Energy Policy and Trustee of the Fuel Poverty Research Network at Sheffield Hallam. Fucking G. Shout out shout to Amy Ambrose. Anyway, let's, let's get into this. Uh, excuse my cold, by the way. Uh, or sneezing, anyway. Uh, I've, I've, I've stopped recording so, so many times. I haven't sneezed all day, but now I've like sneezed like 10 times during this recording alone. It's just absurd, anyway. But yeah, excuse my sniffles. Uh, fuel poverty kills thousands of people in the UK each winter. It means being able to uh, afford uh, to heat a home to a safe and comfortable level, typically when 10% or more of household net income is spent on fuel. It damages our health, well-being and educational attainment and makes it hard for people to participate in society and the economy. For decades, around 10% of UK of UK households or millions of homes have been affected by fuel poverty. This year, the cost of living crisis, including the spike in gas prices, as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, has prompted a surge in the number of households struggling to afford heat and electricity. In October 2021, an estimated 4 million households in the UK were in fuel poverty, but the largest increase in gas and electricity prices ever in April 2022 has pushed a further 2.7 million UK households into fuel poverty, bringing the total number to 6.7 million. And this was before the government uh, regulator Ofgem announced uh, in August that uh, average energy bills were likely to hit £3,549 by October 2022. Under this scenario, it was estimated that 8.2 million households, or one in three homes, will be in fuel poverty this winter, plunging an additional 1.5 million households into fuel poverty in a space of just six months. In a bid to stem this crisis, the government recently announced a two-year plan to cap the cost of household energy, so the average bill is uh, $2,500 a year. Uh, Although much lower than Ofgem's $3,549 a year projection, $2,500 still represents a doubling of average energy bills in the space of a year, and a £500 increase since April 2022. The cap is therefore unlikely to significantly reduce the number of households falling into fuel poverty this winter. Those with high energy needs can still expect to pay more 
than the 2500 average. Uh, we may not see the number of households in fuel poverty hit the previous projection of 8.9 million, but we can logically expect the figure to remain in excess of the 6.7 million already reached in April 2022. While the government's response will prevent fuel poverty levels from affecting more than one third of all households, as was projected prior to the announcement, it will still remain at record levels. Even with average energy bills frozen at 2500 many people will continue to think twice about turning on the heat in this winter. In fact, research by the Fuel Poverty Research Network uh, suggests that households uh, in or at risk of fuel poverty are likely to take their own action to ensure that their energy bills never get anywhere near 2500 a year. Um, and literally, um, in preparation, my mum has actually uh, recently bought uh, an electric dryer, you know, just um, just to curb the, just to not have reliance on the energy um which is depressing which might get our clothes cleaned um or not clothes clothes dried um but fuck me she's uh, i don't think she's gonna turn on the heat in this year and i'm I'm scared to shit i'm literally i might be in my room just 24 7 at this rate like thinking about it like if it gets a certain cold because if she ain't turning the heating on i ain't coming out my room i'm so i'm serious like i'm 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 not doing it it's not happening because last last winter was depressing as shit I, um, she mentioned um, she mentioned the detriment to um, you know uh, he- health, well-being, educational attainment makes it hard for people to participate. It's fact. I, I felt I you know my emotion, me personally, my emotions in the winter are just so down, more down than usual because of just lack of heating. I, I just it's just and it's not disrespect to my mother or anything. Like she's you know she she she's paying for it and. Uh, you know, she could do what she wants with it. I respect that, but fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just a little, just a crumb of heat, please. Um, but anyway, you know, people are people are uh, having having to evolve in some sense. Uh, not 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 in the uh, not not out of, not out of necessity. Um, in some ways. Anyway, back to this. Um, as a result, we can expect attempts at self disconnection and self rationing to continue to grow rapidly. There you go, self rationing. That's basically what mums do. Uh, self-disconnection is where households are left without energy services such as heat and electricity because of a lack of funds. Typically associated with prepayment meter customers, uh, self-disconnection can happen when customers forget or are unable to top out their meters. Self-rationing involves limiting use of services for the same reasons or not buying other important products and services to be able to afford energy costs. Both involve risk to health, well-being and life. There you go, my point made. Our energy bills are broadly made up of two parts, the cost of buying and supplying the energy we consume and the green levies that raise revenue to fund the shift towards a low-carbon energy system. These levies also contribute funding to initiatives designed to alleviate full poverty, such as the Warm Homes Discount Scheme that has helped low-income households afford their energy bills in previous years. The government plans to fund its energy crisis plan through borrowing and by temporarily removing green levies from household energy bills. This means UK taxpayers will eventually foot the bill for repayments via taxes, but as the climate crisis deepens and fuel poverty soars, suspending green levies is also reckless. The transition away from fossil fuels needs to speed up rather than being paused. Talk of moving these levies uh, into general taxation sounds progressive and could be if it means that the higher earners pay more towards transition. Oh, oh, wishful thinking. (laughs) Wishful thinking there, uh, Miss Ambrose. Wishful fucking thinking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 
uh, but this is unlikely to come about a uh, come about under a government pledging significant tax cuts. Right, there you go, there you go. She 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 came she came right back to me on that one. Uh, in addition to the price freeze, the government's plan also includes proposals to quote accelerate domestic energy supply unquote by increasing UK fossil fuel production. But it is, our uh, it is our dependency on fossil fuels that has left us vulnerable to volatile international energy markets in the first place. The cost of energy from renewable sources has been consistently lower than that produced from fossil fuels throughout the crisis and does not suffer from the same price hikes as oil and gas traded on wholesale markets. The sooner we can transition our electricity system to locally generated new renewable heat and power, the sooner we will escape the unpredictability of fossil fuel markets and the emissions these sources produce. Coupled with the rapid rollout of energy efficiency programs prioritised in the fuel poor, this is the way to end fuel poverty and ensure we never experience a crisis like this again. Excuse me. So, uh, yeah, thanks to Miss Ambrose on that front. Um, great read. And, uh, yeah, I just... Uh, to think... To think um, to, to zoom out a little bit, I kind of wanted to just propose this. Do you think there should be... How do you feel, guys? Um, just as a throw out there like a set of people um like a maybe a like the like similar like civil service in some ways right the civil service obviously are you know they they work for the government and you know help um get the job done so to speak you know push it through and get shit done um regardless of government right they don't bring in they're not supposed to be pro anti anything right this is civil service I feel like we should have something similar to that, but in terms of just futurism and just looking out, because the fact that the fact that we're still talking about fossil fuels and you know all this shit, and we might be going back to fracking, is just severely short-sighted. I feel like there needs to be a set of people advising the government on just long-sighted things, you know, just futurists literally in every sense of the word and just looking into the future and trying to figure out what we should do to get to that because you know look at china for example right in the space of a couple of decades they have completely revolutionized their public transport system the amount go look there's a, there's a map there's a map that goes about on uh, everywhere and social media and whatever when it comes to you know train travel um and public transport and there's a map of china uh, with the you know f f in a timeline right of a uh, you know two thousand and whatever to now, and it's just depressing thinking about it. It's just like we we could be doing that. We could be doing something of that nature of just completely revolutionising something over the you know next twenty years, right? Um, and obviously you know their system of communism is different to obviously our free market capitalism, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, right? <laughs> but that aside, it's just depressing to look at. It's just like oh so so they can do that why why can't we do something of that nature right why can't we do something towards that to get ahead of the game that's kind of what it is right just constantly trying to get ahead of the game but now it just seems like every time we talk about something it's just trying to survive the next year to, to trying to survive the fucking winter what are we doing what are we doing you know what i mean it's just did you did nobody see this coming like it's just and obviously, you know, Russia-Ukraine war didn't see that coming, right? Obviously, but still, and and uh, I know, I know, um, I know she meant, I know she mentioned that um, in the in the article, but even that, I don't think needs to be mentioned because I don't, uh, we don't, we're not Germany, we're not relying on 
Russian energy that hard. So even obviously the whole thing is raising prices regardless in the world. So obviously we're going to suffer from that. But still, it's just it's just absurd how short-sighted this country is. It just really jars me. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to zoom out a little bit on that front because I just had that thought. But uh, yeah, man, uh, the energy crisis is still going to be a bloodbath. Um, I can't see the government doing anything more uh, substantial. Uh, they're just going to they're going to be they're going down the Ivan Drago route if if they die they die um put simply and um you know it's just it's just one it's just one more piece of bullshit um you know people are going to have to deal with um when when honestly as a fucking first world country I don't like using that term in terms of first world second world third world I don't even know what second world country is but you know what I mean um I'd think those terms shouldn't be used but you know as a modern country we shouldn't be doing this we shouldn't be killing people. We shouldn't have eight. We shouldn't have one in three homes in fuel poverty. Like, come on, can we please just have some foresight for once? Just a crumb of foresight, please. Wow, this this I don't know if it's hay fever or just a just um you know come back of my cold or something, but Jesus Christ! Like as soon as I started recording, my nose starting starting to run, my eyes starting to water. Like it's just what the fuck, man! This is absurd. Like oh, I've been decent, I've been fine all day, and now I start recording, and everything's just going. Everything's just trying to stop me from getting this out. Anyway, we we move, we move, we continue. Um, with a uh, tech, uh, this is called uh, ways of saving. Uh, what do we preserve and discard in the age of social media? This is uh, via we present uh, via we transfer, and the words are by Claire Marie Healy. Uh, I just found this interesting uh, because I'm always, always, cons- I always have like a subconscious concern about um, about uh, preservation in the internet age, and uh, I just wonder what have we lost? You know, what have we lost um, to the internet? that we could have easily preserved, but we just decided, but, you know, some, we just decided not to as a, as a collective. Um, you know, there's always, I think there's always people that are dedicated to doing that, to pres- to preserve things. Uh, games, films, we've talked about that before. Um, but it's just, in, I just wanted to, I guess this is a nice overall, um, uh, an, an overall look at it, at, at internet preservation. So yeah, let's get into it. Ask yourself, if your house was on fire, what would you save? It's a kind of timeless hypothetical scenario that, usually recited during long car journeys or chartered sleepovers, is probably recognisable in some form of uh, in of some form in Socratic dialogues or medieval scripture. Socratic dialogues, I like that. Uh, with all its various social platforms regularly referred to hellscapes, today uh, today it's the internet that feels like it's on fire, and we need to figure out what to keep online. We are almost constantly wrangling over that same question. What to save, where to save it, and how to justify the choices we made. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time in the past year uh, in rooms filled with photographic and written relics, in the presence of archivists for whom fire safety is key. These guardians have uh, have been almost exactly as one would picture, gentle, fastidious, and faintly bemused at the presence of another human. On a recent visit uh, to one archive in deepest Chelsea, uh, I was told that nobody else had come to see it since before the pandemic began. Well, 
Uh, once the idea of rifling through boxes of documents in search of something elusive, the kind of thing you'll only know when you see it, would have felt like a chore. Now it's an encounter that feels special. I admire these men and women and see their pursuit of preserving the past as somewhat noble. I begin to realise the archivist's instinct to preserve uh, chimes with my own increasingly preservationist online tendencies. In the ongoing battle between ephemeral and permanent forms of media, the ephemeral seems to have won out and I'm not sure I'm quite ready. Online, the dividing lines of uh, two camps have been set. Are you a hoarder or a pyromaniac? An existing vocabulary for saving one's work has been built into the architecture of the home computer from the start. With the folders, desktops, and documents on operating systems millennials grew up on acting as computerized versions of familiar modes of organization. Well, computer games where, we, where we're asked to save your progress before exiting to accidentally click no felt like a death. <laughs> Brackets on my glitchy CD-ROM of theme hospital. Fuck, that's a throwback. I remember my sister playing that days, bro. She she played that for a time. Um, I, w- I wish I played it. It, lo- it looked fun, but I just never got into it. Uh, a bug meant the trauma of going all the way back to the beginning of the game each and every time. Not that this stopped me. Um, brackets. Uh, but somewhere between CD-ROMs and social media, saving our progress became sh- show and tell. To display the images that mean something to us on MySpace through to Tumblr, Facebook through to Instagram, has meant acting as caretaker to an archive that is uh, visit- uh, visitable to the public any hour. For those who have always grown up with social media, the desire to save your progress is starting to wear thin. Millennials like me are, for the first time, being presented with internet affordances that feel truly unfamiliar. TikTok, an app that encourages a stream of chaotic clips, is defined by trends that are constantly being warped by its users, has become a major cultural influence. While Snapchat, the much-emulated leader in the field for disappearing content, has given way to a new era of transient posting. For those of us who still use Instagram, a practice of post-purging has become pervasive, with curated feeds being shunned in favour of disappearing stories. Uh, Meanwhile, on Be Real, a platform founded in 2020 and explicitly posited by its makers as the anti-Instagram, we've talked about that in previous episodes, uh, spontaneity is enforced by the design. On the app, the user is sent a daily notification that grants a mere two-minute window to snap a photograph of what they are doing at that moment. Uh, only after posting your own photo are you granted permission to see what everyone else has posted. By encouraging in-the-moment posting, Be Real is fostering an environment in which choreographed, edited, filtered posts we once prized are impossible. It captures your life as it is, as opposed to how you'd wish to wish it to be presented. But something still feels off about the professed carefreeness of this new approach. For me, an app like Be Real feels like the latest expression of a kind of shared anxiety about the centrality of our phones in our lives. With its rules and regulations, the app feels more akin to the various uh, private tricks I play on myself to regulate my social media usage, the self-control apps, the screen time quotas, the post-deleting services. Like regular Instagram purges and casual photo dumps, Be Real's environment uh, is as carefully planned as anything else. In other words, it doesn't feel like freedom either. Still, why I can't, while I can't see myself throwing all my life experiences into the black holes of a new generation of self-disappearing media, I don't see myself spending my free time creating sock drawers for the memories that make up me either. Uh, like a netizen, netizen Marie Kondo. Uh, rather than getting anxious about this strange state of online record, the position of existing somewhere between content producer and private collector 
uh, hate that word, content producer, uh, a 24 and 24 hour story generator and permanent Google imagery uh, search result. I'm curious about what embracing an in-betweenness might look like. A tension between the, per- the urge uh, to remember and the urge to burn the organized online life to the ground might be messy, but it could be a generative uh, kind of mess. Having, an inter- having interviewed a 17-year-old who regularly deletes her Instagram feed, technology writer Hussein Kesvani uh, writes how for the teenage girl, quote, Posting photos isn't about archiving moments of her life to look back on years from now, look back on years from now. Instead, they serve as a more of a screenshot, capturing the experiences she wants to show her friends in the moment, but maybe not forever. Unquote. The screenshot itself, defined by the in-the-moment capture of something fleeting, does feel like a useful analogy for occupying a position somewhere uh, between saving and deleting. I encounter films, both seen and unseen, in the form of daily encounters with screenshots, usually on Instagram. A snippet of banal conversation here, an articulation inside a moment there. Eric Romer's heroines and romantic K-dramas are all experiencing a second life in the infographic age. While some might argue there's a shallowness to the form, how can you claim to be a fan of a certain director if you've only engaged with singular subtitle snapshots of their work? To me, it feels like a natural halfway point between the urge to set down experience um, and the urge to let it pass you by. The way I organise screenshots can feel then uh, like a continuation of the personal archiving practices of my girlhood, disorganised for my personal use only and yet saved. I rarely revisit these screenshots on my messy desktop is besides the point. It's the practice of capturing it that matters. Not an intended display uh, to press shift command 3 is uh, comfort- uh, comforting because it expresses two very human desires. The desire for moments of beauty and the desire for moments of clarity. Sadly, like many corners of the internet in which the user can find small freedoms, the screenshot is being clamped down on too. As of this spring, most streaming sites now block the ability to screenshots for reasons of copyright, even though for the majority of viewers, to screenshot is to capture a feeling for your own pleasure only. But the more I think about the way I am beginning to use the internet and my phone, there are other quieter resistances to play. In play. The memories and memes visible uh, in all of their randomness in all their randomness in the media links and docs section of whatsapp uh, thread <laughs> feel more true to the dynamics of day-to-day life than my iphone sorting of photos into months locations faces and themes even the nosap expresses a space for the kind of streams of thought that are more closely held and pleasingly obfuscatory 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 that's the word obfuscatory that's how you say it took me a while we got there (laughs) fucking hell Uh, in the end to move uh, through the world is to experience encounters that constantly pass us by and to brush up against moments that we are not able to save other than as an unreliable memory the increasing popularity of apps like be real that capture these those moments rather than try to contain display them seems to reflect an embrace of life uh, a life's fleetingness but what they neglect is the need to find other ways to interact with the media we encounter, like the photographs, quotes and films that have Im- an impact on us and shape us. When it comes to that particular landscape, we need, to, we need new tools to pay tribute to the imprints, the traces, the annotations these objects, that make, uh, these objects make on us. We need tools that are less about organising moments than saving the feeling of the encounter. The messy computer desktop also feels like it occupies this very in-betweenness with uh, save files, uh, with the files save their feeling uh, somewhere between remembered and temporary. 
Scrolling through mine, I see a passport photo, an image from a Studio Ghibli film of a character filling a vase with water, a still of Nastasja Kinsey uh, at a zoo in Cat People, and a Jonas Mekas film negative. In the latter, Mekas occupies the bottom of t- uh, bottom two frames with his back to the camera, looking out of the window. Uh, in the frame above, the words on a pink backdrop, much like an Eric Roma intertitle, You look at the sun. Then you return home and you can't work. You, you're impregnate uh, with all that light. In the foreground, in the midst of shelves and shelves of objects, is the artist's very messy desk. Okay, so that was a very abstract way of thinking about it. Um, and obviously, um, if, you, if you're uh, very Apple-orientated, um, then you know, you're much more inclined to use that. But this is interesting. Um, I can use a personal example here. Um, you know, my photography, right? Kind of the reason why I started doing my photography um, was uh, not to uh, was kind of just a, a reason not to use Instagram anymore. Just an extra reason not to use it anymore. The only time, the only reason I use Instagram is because some people I know uh, are exclusively on Instagram and nothing else, so I have to hit them up there. Um, and I just use it for stories. To be honest, I just use my stories now and again. Um, you know, some some days I don't use, I don't touch my stories. Sometimes I'm posting eight things uh, that have nothing to do with each other. Like today, for instance, I've posted like I think five, six things that you know tangentially related in some ways. But also posted my photography today as well. So um, you know, it's uh, it's it's just I, that's where I post it. I'm just like, here's my photography, go peep. Like, it's just and it and it's gone in 24 hours. I don't care. Um, I don't post anymore. Um, I really do. I don't. I, I, you know, I used to. I did do it for my photography briefly, and then I deleted it because I had my photography site. Um, and uh, now it's, the latest thing I did was uh, my birthday. Literally, a post on my birthday. That's it. Uh, so that was my last post. And um, yeah, you know, it's it comes as a the website for the photography is a place for people to see it, right? Of course, um, it's a place for me to pursue something different um you know i do it in a kind of like a mini essay as well um along with to go with the photos um so you know a bit of writing as well in there for me i don't feel like that's the place that instagram's the place of that for me um for obvious reasons um chiefly being that they don't fucking uh <laughs> they always crop shit and make you crop shit and it's just like no i don't want to do that i want my shit in full glory um so yeah it it makes sense. Um, I see why people use certain things. Um, Instagram or Be Real or Snapchat for some reason these days. Don't get it, but it is what it is. But um, yeah, it's just a. It was a very abstract article. I'm I'm still kind of uh, marinating on it. Um, it's interesting. Uh, but I it's. I, people, I think people uh, focus. I think people focus a lot on how they how they present themselves on social media now um it used to be uh it used to be very pristine and now it's not um but for me i just i i'm just trying to kind of get out of it all to be honest um uh, maybe apart from twitter but you know i i want to get off instagram for you know i don't really care to use it anymore um i I've, out of all the popular apps it's the buggiest ever i just i can't believe how buggy it is for me still um it's crazy in 2022 instagram is just rock, just crazy buggy um but yeah i just 
for stuff like that, I don't want to use it anymore. Um, and you know, I still obviously still have my, all my photos saved. I you know regularly put them on my hard drive um, to the point where I need to get a new one soon. Um, and I keep my I keep my podcast recordings. You know, I'll keep them all raw. Uh, I keep the raws, keep the projects. Um, I save all of it, and I put that um, periodically in my hard drive. Um, save with my photos. My music is a different story. Um, you know, so I sort obviously all Spotify and uh, you know some save mixtapes that I for some reason still keep, even though I, I listen to them a few times out of the year. Um, but yeah, those, those are the stuff that are important to me. My scripts, you know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what my desktop is, to be honest. Um, just pictures, uh, mu- uh, uh, podcasting. Um, it's funny, I put it in the music uh, folder, but there's no music there apart from, you know, just the usual, you know, the music I use for the shows and stuff, but it's not, not really any much, much music. Uh, and then the scripts, documents, I still have stuff from my uni, still have, uh, six form shit just sitting there. Uh, my Evernote that I, that I, uh, exported because I stopped using Evernote, you know, just, that's all it is. That's all it is there. But that's why I choose to keep. That's why I choose to keep. Um, but everything else, I don't really care much about. Like, I don't want to screenshot films and, uh, you know, film quotes and stuff like that. If it comes to me, then I search it up right quick. That's how easy I can get it now. I know it's going to be there. Um, but for everything else pertaining to me personally, uh, you know, I keep it for myself. You'll see some of it if you choose to, um, if you want to. Um, but, you know. You ain't gonna see everything, and that's and that's how I like to do things. It, but yeah, it's got really personal. But um, yeah, that's that's, uh, that's what the article was basically was anyway. It got personal, so you know that's how I choose to go about it. So yeah, uh, that's how I choose to save myself in terms of uh, my digital footprint. Okay, so let's talk about it. So I said I wanted to be as coherent as possible, and I still want to do that. Um, but I feel like to do that, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to compromise myself in some way by limiting my thoughts overall. Um, but I kind of want, like I said, I want to get to the root of the issue here, which is with the Queen dead. Um, it's now at a point where I feel very anxious about kind of everything, I guess. Um, the Queen's death is, you know, whatever. I, I just, you know, put simply, in my personal camp, um, I don't really care um, about the Queen's death. Like, you know, she died, 96, good innings, well done. Right? It's, you know what I mean? Just job well done on the life you lived right good for you um if i live to 96 i'll be guest but um you know the but the but that's it's not left just at that you know it's never left just at that it has to constantly in the past week it's just been constantly churning and churning and churning this and debating and 
and exhaustion of just forced mourning. Someone called it onto a uh, industrial strength mourning, and they and someone called a beat the BBC Mourn Hub, which is just hilarious. And it's true. It's so relentless, and I don't even watch TV like that anymore. But it's so fucking relentless. It's depressing, and in some ways, it's dystopian. Obviously, you guys have seen. Uh, hopefully, you guys have seen um, during the procession of you know her coffin literally going across the country um uh, i think it's currently westminster now lying in state or wherever it's wherever they call it on ice basically um you know and people are visiting it uh which 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 jars me because as a minor tangent um i don't know how the unemployment rate is uh, is as low as it is because i'm wondering do you are you guys working because i'm seeing people literally wanting to hang out of westminster for the next for the next few days for the whole weekend um, to wait for the funeral on Monday. Like, do, do you guys work? I, I genuine question. It's just anyway. My, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying my best to get out of those to, to not get in tangents. Okay, so um, but I had to get that off. The the overall just um forced nature of this um makes me uncomfortable, and uh, it's it's so forced to a point where I'm wondering. What is it coming? What is this coming to? You know, um, I've had I have a, like a mini thread on Twitter of um of accounting for the most minuscule changes um to force the fact that uh this business or brand or whatever set or you know council or whatever uh entity to put it broadly um to pay their respects. And I saw the funniest one. I said this on digging digits, but I said uh, the funniest one I saw I've seen so far is a uh, a bike rack in Norwich being shut down. Why? <laughs> why? Why we? D- it's it's funny and it's but it's really absurd now. It's really absurd, and the further it goes, the more kind of just depressing it gets. Um, every day, I'm getting just I'm getting word of literally just shit being shut down during the funeral day on the 19th and again i'm asking why do you have to do it there's no fucking need to do it there's a food bank that is shutting down on the queen's funeral why there is no need for it there is no need what are we doing here seriously what are we doing here uh, i'm just going to go through i'm just going to go through what i've retweeted um, in the past few days, um, Transport for London has suspending busking across all 39 busking pitches on its network in a decision termed, quote, miserable and mean by those affected. The suspension remains in place until Tuesday. Why? Why, why, why? Why are you stopping people from hustling to get their fucking art out and to get some pee, a little bit of pee? Why? Is this really how you want to respect the Queen? It doesn't make sense to me, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, here's another one uh, uh, from TLDR News, um, referencing the queue, uh, the referencing the amount of people. The queue to see the Queen lying in state is currently 2.4 miles, 3.9 kilometers long. What? <laughs> it do- just crazy, 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 fucking absurd. Okay, this I I just don't see, I can't I can't uh, I I just can't really understand and fathom 
why we're forcing this so hard. And I know why, I know the usual answer people are going to say. It's the Queen, man. It's the Queen. Tradition. Slavery was a tradition at some point. Okay? Let's not do that. Let's not have this conversation. Let's not do that. Let's not play that game. Okay? Please. Let's not do that. Because I'm just going to get glib with you, to be honest. Right? Like I just did there. I'm just going to be glib. I'm just going to be like, okay, well, there's many traditions that have been ditched. Um, anyway, the main point I wanted to get to um, was that this is probably one of the biggest spectrums of thought um, that I have been a part of. Um, and due to social media and due to the fact that legacy media will go at go this, the, the, the most absurd lengths, the most dystopian lengths to to make this, uh, to force this upon us. Um, for example, ITV announced last night um, it will air the funeral across the literally their entire network. ITV 1, 2, 3, 4, B, and the hub. The fucking hub. ITV hub. On, online, their online streaming platform. They're going to do that everywhere, wall to wall. The BBC haven't uh, uh, haven't announced the plans yet to do so, but I'm going to hope. I'm just going to assume that they're going to do the same. It's going to be on BBC One. It's going to be on BBC Two, BBC Three, BBC Four, BBC Alba, <laughs> and BBC iPlayer. I'm just going to assume. I'm just going to go ahead and call it and assume that they're going to do that, right? And Channel Four will probably. I mean, they're probably definitely going to do Channel 4, maybe not like E4 and 4.7, but hey, man, I, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't, I can't assume anything uh, with these 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 channels any, anymore. It doesn't need to be on every single channel. That's just dystopian to me. It's forced, it's, it's, it's highly questionable to me. I, I just don't get it. Um, but the overall point, like I said, I wanted to get to was the spectrum of thought. Um, clearly from how I've been talking in the past nearly 10 minutes, um, is say it's one of, I don't care about the queen, to be honest. Um, she died, whatever. My gripe with everything is that the coverage has been over, so overwhelmingly, and I'm not, I'm not surprised about this, by the way, I'm not surprised, but while the, the response to the queen, death's queen of the death of the Queen has been so overwhelmingly positive and so overwhelmingly unionizing, you know, to the to the point of it being forced, forced unionizing, right? Um, and in some ways, I've you know, I've in my, I have to kind of eat it on that front on that front because I I uh, my worry of the month last month was neoliberalism and how it's destroyed the concept of community. And now people are in a community right now, and are are together in some ways in mourning, right? So in that in that in that side, I can't hate on it. I can't hate on you guys mourning the queen. I I can't hate on you guys crying over it. Okay. But what I do have a qualm with, and this is my my personal overall point that I want to get home. I want to bring home to this is the fact that you guys are really really blinding yourself to the realities of the world and it's really really concerning to me um for you guys to be watching and i say you guys i don't know why i'm saying like that but you know i'm just saying it in general generalizing terms to see people 
in this country especially, to be so embracing of the Queen, to be so embracing of the royal family, which is even more harrowing, to be honest. Like, there's literally a paedophile in their ranks, bro. Like, what are you doing? What are we doing? There's an adulterer in their ranks, which I don't really care about. I don't care about Prince Charles. I don't care about the royal family. Um, I don't care about the future of the royal family. I feel like this is the one step closer to the to the death of the monarchy and I'm I can't the sooner it comes the better off we will be but that's beside the point um my my issue is just the overall um overall uh response to it all the fact that you guys that I'm trying to get that habit the fact that people are just so hell-bent on being positive about the queen and about the monarchy overall when there's so many lives that were changed during her reign in this you know what was colonialism at her at the start of her reign and is now soft power colonialism right to see to to to, for you guys to not for you guys for you people for people for people not to see it to not to under for not to understand how people have been brutalized in an, using an overall sense to to see people brutalized in this way, in the, in the ways that they have uh, under the under the power of Queen Elizabeth and let's not and let's not get it twisted ladies and gentlemen let's not get let's go, get it twisted Elizabeth had power okay Elizabeth had power Elizabeth had domestic power do not get it twisted there are plenty of um, there are plenty of articles going uh, that have been bandied about in recent in recent years about the Queen leveraging her power to change laws. Okay, that is easily easy to look up. Just look up Elizabeth changing laws. I guarantee you'll find something on that front. Okay, so to say that she doesn't, she didn't have power, and she was just this, you know, the spiritual guide, the spiritual grandmother. Um, you know, just the just the figurehead, spiritual leader, right? Bollocks. Bollocks. Honestly, bollocks. You guys are living in a fucking fantasy land, and it's really, really upsetting me. It, it really upsets me. You guys, the people, refuse to understand that the monarchy overall is a net negative. It's a net negative. I I just can't fathom it. I I I think people should move on. To be honest, I think people should move the fuck on. It's been have the funeral, but I say that, and I know it's not going to happen. I'm saying it to, I'm saying it to say it, but it's not going to happen because people aren't going to move on. I think as a overall point uh, that I also want to make. This is not being as coherent as I want it to be. So, here's what it is. I'm not going to re-record. Um, I think the final point I'll, I'll say is that education is something that I've been talking about for the past, you know, few years since this podcast has kind of begun, you know, this is rooted in education. It's rooted in educating myself. Uh, hopefully, you guys have enjoyed the rest of this episode and not just for my queen rant hopefully you actually got something from the rest of it because 
that's what this is supposed to be. There are other things to deal with in the world. To stop everything for the fucking queen is ludicrous to me. It's absurd to me. The fact that capitalism itself as a system stopped for a day jars the fuck out of me. But education is imperative, ladies and gentlemen. It is imperative. And for people, to, and for the for, for the media, to legacy media, for mainstream media, to whitewash all of this coverage, this 24-hour news cycle, to, to whitewash the coverage of Queen Elizabeth as, a, as a, someone that didn't put a foot wrong, as someone that didn't make mistakes, you are fucking joking me, and you're being, disingen- you're being disingenuous, and you're lying to the people. You're lying to the people. And you are disrespecting other people in other countries. In the quote-unquote commonwealth. You are disrespecting a lot of people by doing that. Um, and you're doing a disservice. I'm not expecting for you know, BBC One to suddenly talk about um, Kenya, for example. Or Malaysia, for another example. Right? I'm not expe- or India. I'm not expecting them to... I'm not expecting them to talk about colonial past. I'm not... I don't... I don't... I don't... But what I do expect, what I do expect is balance. And and I'm and I'm not getting that anywhere. I'm not getting balance anywhere. And that really, really depresses me. But yeah, the final point I wanted to make um was an overall point about uh how people are gonna react. Um I had a chat with um somebody, the interview's dropping tomorrow, so I won't spoil it. But um I was having a conversation off wax with somebody. Um, American, not from here, <coughs> asking me about it, and I was breaking it down for him. And uh, I said, and I've said this to people, I've said, I've said this to a few people over the past few days. Think about how people are reacting, right? They're reacting with sadness, right? You're reacting with this, and I haven't even talked about the fact that people have been arrested over protesting, uh, which is another um, really, really scary and worrying uh, thing uh, for the future of this country but think about the people that have been really sad over this and um, and you know really depressed over it and cried over it da, 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 right? think about these people for, for a moment and think about how there are so many people out there that um, use the term you know back in, back in the day the good old days stuff like that right and usually you know what they mean right some sometimes they mean it in you know in a in a in a light sense, but you know there are some people that mean it in a more demonic sense. But regardless of who, they whoever they are, however they think about the past, whether it be in a positive light or not. Uh, well, especially in the positive light. Think about how the coronation of King Charles, another th- another tangent, the cost of living crisis, and we're gonna have a fucking coronation and everything. And just Christ Almighty. Think about those people that are being all sad about it and are going to see their world pretty much change in a lot of ways. The coins, money, the money, not going to have the Queen's face anymore. Um, none of the Queen's seal on like the products uh, that you get, you know, my, my, my green tea, for example, or ketchup, right? All of that gone. Post boxes. Everything, uh, everything that you, uh, that we consider about Queen Elizabeth, um, that, you know, she's just, she's a, and Boris Johnson actually said in a rare truth, um, a rare, rare truth for him, that um, Queen Elizabeth is, the, is appears uh, uh, 
the person who appears in our dreams the most is Queen Elizabeth, um, statistically, that's going to make people sad. That's going to make people um, sad about the future, that she won't be there for the future. Um, but then again, everybody dies, right? Everybody fucking dies. But, you know, people can't move on from this. People have literally considered this as like their grandmother dying. And again... You know, with with all the memes that have gone about, you know, I'm not here to do that at this moment in time. Like, you know, I'll leave Twitter to do that, and I'll leave I'll leave Black Twitter, I'll leave Irish Twitter to make all the jokes. Um, but yeah, and I'll I'll happily retweet them if I see it. But I just feel like the whole public is going to be at a very rickety space, a very mentally sensitive state, and it's not going to go well. But I'm going to keep forcing that fucking issue in the same way as uh, Dr. Uju Anya, uh, who, made an, uh, who made a very divisive uh, take, wishing an excruciating death. Um, you know, she had her reasons. But people ain't going to listen to those reasons. Um, and people for the, for, for, the, for, the next few, for the next few decades are not going to hear those reasons. They're not going to hear those reasons. And that's why I just feel very anxious about everything. I feel like I'm in a fucking twilight state, twilight state where I'm just like, is this happening? Why, why, you know, I'm just constantly asking why, constantly being confused and just like, how are you guys so entrenched in this? It's really scary. Like even when I talk, I, 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 even when I argue with my mum and sister about it, it's I'm coming, I'm getting... I'm getting hit with like uh you know just just stupid not stupid answers but just you know just cut but just push back and I'm just like no do you not find it weird how we're reacting to all of this like am I the only person in this house that you know and yeah I don't know man I wish this was more coherent but I can't I can't be coherent there's so much in my there's so much going in my head towards this but I hopefully the main point I wanted to nail down was just that for me this is this really has pretty much nothing to do with Queen Elizabeth to me um she is only the she is only the like I said at the start of the episode she is the Pandora's box and that's what I kind of want to look into and I want to encourage you guys to look into for the future of what is in that box yeah, what is in that box? Maybe down the line, the abolishment of the monarchy. Hopeful, but more likely, a lot of mental sensitivity towards all of this. Because don't get it twisted, the royal family is political. Okay, no spiritual shit about this. This is all political. At the end of the day, and I'm not saying two sides or whatever. Right, none of that. But fuck me just educate yourself please 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 educate yourself on the grey because I'm seeing a lot of black and white please 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 just embrace the grey for once because the because the legacy media is not going to do it the papers ain't going to do it nobody's going to no, nobody <clears throat> nobody's going to do it sufficiently but I just encourage you guys for yourself, 
for the for the progression of this conversation and this dialogue that we're going to have that the queen dying has opened as a pandora's box i urge you just to look in the gray to zoom out and look in the gray that's all because there's, there's way too much positivity being forced and i'm not i'm not saying embrace negativity but i'm just saying there's a lot of gray area and nobody is looking into it so I just ask you, as your individual self, to do so, at least, at minimum. And with that said, I'll leave it there. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network, I have a child tone, it's been most good. The intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to your music for the ability to use the track. You can find both of their links in the full show notes. Thanks to the friend of five, Ian Happy Hire, for the ability to use Charismatic for the interview. You can also find his link in the full show notes. I'm going to listen back to this and be so disappointed with myself. I'm, I just know it. I hope you'll have a good week but regardless we're not perfect unlike Queen Elizabeth <laughs> one more dig I uh, hope you'll have a good week I'm sure I'll just try and do the same but until next time take it easy ladies and gentlemen